The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for what that song was about. What, what many of the songs, the, the, the prayer, what this passage that we'll look at, what this sermon is about, Lord, what it is is sweet. We thank you for it, that the cross actually did something. It accomplished something. It set us free. It brought life to your people. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the privilege of, of living in that, and of singing about it now, of rejoicing in it, and now hearing about it and thinking about it from a different angle. We consider it all throughout this service for the sake of growing in thankfulness and joy and in the living out of what you have done for us. We want to grow in thankfulness and in joy and in the living out of what you've done for your honor as the giver of such good gifts and for our joy and delight and for the growth of your people. That's our hope. So please accomplish that this morning here in us. We trust ourselves to you and ask you to own this time, direct it, be honored in it. Thank you, Father. Amen. For people, one of the most emotionally uncomfortable situations that we face is when we know we are guilty of something terrible and we can't undo it, we can't reverse it. Maybe you get caught by someone else doing or, or saying something shameful, embarrassing, hurtful, insulting. They, they catch you red-handed. You're talking about how stupid so-and-so is, and then he walks around the corner. Or he doesn't. And later that night, you're the only one who's thinking about it. You're the only one who knows it, but you know it. You said it. You did it. And the only one you have to blame is yourself for hurting that other person or for ruining something that was good or for breaking or for injuring. Perhaps it was, it was not deliberate, maybe it was just simple carelessness. But whatever it is, you know you did it. The damage has been done. You're responsible. And you sit there guilty. Before yourself, maybe before others, but at least before yourself. And that's tough to deal with. And it is particularly hard when you factor in the judgment of God. We heard, we heard read Psalm 2 this morning. I didn't know that was going to be read and prayed through. But Psalm 2 talks about a God who is a judge. The one who made us and who owns everything. The one to whom everything is known. The one who is perfectly just and righteous and holy. The one to whom we must give an account everybody in the world. We all have some sense of this God and who he is and 
his judgment, it's built into us. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, that, that his values and how he looks at things are, are pressed into us. It's kind of what lies behind what we call conscious, conscience. We, we have that sense. It gets certainly twisted and, and marred in people as we live in this world, but it's, it's there in all of us, especially so in the person raised in the church. You grow up around the church and you read the Bible and you, you learn about God and what he calls us to and what he requires. And you read Psalm 2, for instance, and you hear a holy God who is a judge and something terrible happens to you. You become acutely aware of how much you're not that. How far short you fall of who God is and what he requires and what he calls us to. It's not that you become more guilty than others. It's that you become more aware of it. And I say that's terrible because if you've ever sat in that for a minute, it's crushing. It's incredibly burdensome. It's, it's easier to pretend there is no standard than to see the standard crystal clear and to understand oneself and to see the gap. And to realize, I can't do anything about that. I can't fix that. I can't undo it. I can't go back. I can't live well enough to fix what already happened. I, I can't. I, ah. To feel, to be accused on the inside before a holy God. No one wants that. No one can stand it. It's crushing. And a lot of people think, that's what the church does to you, though, on purpose, to tell you to shape up. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what God does to you to then say this. That's crushing. No one wants that. No one can stand under it. And you don't have to. You don't have to carry. You don't have to walk under that burden. In Christ, God has provided another way of life, another walk. One that makes for real life, which we're going to consider today in Colossians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 11 to 15, but we're, really we're continuing on with something that we saw introduced in verse 6 with a command to walk in Christ. So we're kind of building from that point where we saw this Jesus, the one presented to you, the one, the one announced and declared, the one that you heard and embraced and accepted, trusted, that Jesus, we're to walk in him to consistently commune with him as he enables us. And last week we looked at that means to walk alert walking theme there to walk alert there's all kinds of tempting danger all around us that's going to it's going to lure us and tempt us to walk away from him and to seek life somewhere else to walk alert to that and then secondly to walk aware that in christ actually we have everything that we need for life walk alert walk aware remembering all that we need is in christ so we're filled in him and then today we continue on with a couple more aspects of walking walk freed and walk forgiven freed from that crushing burden freed from the, the tendency to to move into sin freed from that and forgiven released so this is i don't know how else to say it it's awesome if you get this this is awesome So may God open our eyes and help us to see it. Here's Colossians 2. Let me read verses 11 to 15 and then make two observations from it. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Colossians 2. I make two observations. Here's the first. Again, keeping that walking theme. Walk freed. Your flesh has been cut off from power. Walk freed. Your flesh has been cut off from power. The flesh, that is the aspect of, of human nature, of, of ourselves, that inclines us, that draws us, that used to command us to give in to sinful, sinful temptation. That's called the flesh in, in the Bible. And it's been cut off from power over you, that it can't make you do that anymore. It can't make you turn to sin like a master would a slave. Not anymore. You're freed from that. And I get this especially from what Paul's getting at in verse 11 as he mentions circumcision there three times, none of them actually a reference to literal circumcision. In the Bible, in, in Old Testament times, literal circumcision was a physical sign of the covenant and a reminder of its promises. And it's a huge topic. If you're talking about Old Testament circumcision, covenant, and promises, you, you're into the area of books, multiple. It's a big subject. A lot can be said about that. Circumcision is a very rich, symbolic statement. So I'm only going to touch on pieces of it that are relevant for us this morning. And as I do so, some of us depending on what background we're from, will notice what I'm not doing. I am not going to tie circumcision in the Old Testament to baptism in the New Testament. That's a, a theological issue, a theological discussion related to the topic of infant baptism, and some of us have come from backgrounds where we know this passage itself explicitly has been pulled up and used to say that's what's being taught here by Paul, that circumcision and baptism are connected. They're both in this passage, after all. And then they relate that to the idea of infant baptism. I'm not going there because I don't think that's actually here. Which, carefully, is not to say anything one way or the other about the, the infant baptism issue. That stands or falls on other passages. I just think that's not what's being addressed here by Paul. He's got something else in mind, something very similar to what he's already said in Romans 6, as we'll see. And what he's trying to tell people, he probably brings up circumcision here because those, those false teachers in Colossae were, were in some way or another trying to, to invite people, to lure people back into being circumcised again. And he's saying, no, actually what that was always about in the Old Testament, it's accomplished. We don't need to do that. It's done. So what was it about, circumcision? A rich statement 
in which God says something like this. If I were to kind of like try to take what God is saying in circumcision, and giving circumcision in the Old Testament, it goes kind of like this. So you can put this all in quotes. God says, in circumcision, I promise that I will one day cut away the flesh for all who trust me. I promise to cut away the flesh of your heart, the sinful flesh of your sinful nature. And what that means is I'm going to make you different people. I'm going to set you free from this bondage and make you new people that are are spirit-empowered and spirit-driven to help you walk in a new life away from sin and with me. I'm going to cut away your flesh. And I will act to do that in a bloodletting that is to come one day. Foretold by this little bloodletting, this little cutting away of a little bit of physical flesh. You see the connection, the imagery. You need this. Trust me for it. I'm going to bring it. It's going to come, but if you don't trust me for it, then this circumcision done with human hands in the physical flesh is irrelevant. You need what this is pointing to. The bloodletting of the cutting away of the flesh of your heart, the making of you into a new spirit-filled person. Trust me, you need that. I'll bring it. End quote. Something like that is what God is saying in circumcision in the Old Testament. And again, books written about that. Trying to keep it a little narrow here. It's looking forward to something that now in verse 11, Paul is saying, for us in Christ, done. Happened already. In Christ, you were circumcised with the circumcision performed by God. He says, not by human hands, performed by God. So it's not a literal circumcision, it's physical, it's not physical, it's spiritual. A spiritual one, a great spiritual cutting away of the flesh that was being pointed to. It's happened for you in Him, in Christ, by the putting off of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ which is not talking about his, when he was an infant circumcision, it's talking about when his flesh was cut off, his death on the cross. When his whole body was cut away, our body of flesh was cut away. In him, we have been circumcised. He's the great bloodletting that was always being pointed to. His body of flesh cut away when he died on the cross so that all of us who trust him, remember the idea of the balloon and air inside the balloon, whatever happens to him happens to us. In him, we've experienced the cutting away of the body of flesh also. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. And, and using some rather graphic language, the, the analogy is intentional to, to, make it, to grab our attention, to make us realize something drastically was, was chained, was cut off of me. And Paul's point, and then that means you're new. What God always promised 
to be a different person, moved and empowered by the Spirit so that you can walk away from sin and walk with him, that actually happened. That's, that's the main point he's getting at here. In Christ crucified, your flesh was cut away. You are no longer bound in bondage to sin, but are freed from it. The same point he, he made in Romans 6. When he talked about how we died with Christ, we were buried with him. Baptism used as kind of a, a, a catchword for when you decided to, by faith, put yourself into Christ and then raise with him to walk in newness of life. Same kind of line of reasoning. You may remember Romans 6 from the Resurrection Life series a number of months back. The point he's making is we, united with Christ, have experienced the circumcision that we need. And our old self has been cut away. Freed to walk in newness of life. So, walk then. Freed. We all want that. We all want to be able to, to walk free from bondage, free from bondage to this, this, these sins that, that plague us, that hurt others. We want to be able to do that, and Jesus is the one who provides it, and Paul's emphasizing that happens in Christ, nowhere else. So his point surely is to turn us onto Christ, but turned onto Christ, and his point would be, so walk in that, walk freed. Realize sin does not have power over you. It does not enslave you. It does not obligate you or command you like a master does a slave. You can say no. You can say yes to God. You can grow. You can change. You will grow. You will change because God is at work in you. So that's, that's true. Paul's point is that's what's happened to you. So then how do we walk in that? Well, I, I turn that back on me and I think one of the key phrases that, that I often run through my head, and I'll offer this up here as, as help to you. I often run through my head, take yourself in hand. Take yourself in hand. And what I kind of mean by that is this. I'm drifting off. Take yourself in hand. Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? Take yourself in hand. Because I drift. I know, I, I know, and I suspect that many of you, I, we've preached this before, I suspect that many of us, we know I'm no longer a slave to sin. I, I'm, I'm freed in Christ. I've been, I've been set free from that. And I drift. But what do you do? For me, take yourself in hand. Which means I, I stop and I think, I'm not just getting in the car, going to the grocery store all by myself. Adrift. To be blown about by whatever bumps into me there. But no, I'm, I'm going to walk into that with this Jesus. I'm going to take myself in hand to remind myself of that. This Jesus, who is he? Do you recall? This is, I'm kind of walking back through a couple of the last week's sermons. 
this Jesus, we have to recall who this Jesus is. This Jesus is the one who is the Lord who made everything. This Jesus is the one, and then it helps for me maybe to remember him in his offices. This Jesus is the one who is the king. When I walk through the aisles of the supermarket and face something tempting or something that's fearful, something that threatens me, take yourself in hand. I'm here with Jesus who is the king who reigns and who rules and who gives me power to say no. Or maybe I feel, as I'm walking in the supermarket, I feel overwhelmed by some temptation. I'm there with Jesus, not maybe the king, but maybe I need the priest who intercedes for me and gives me then in that moment grace and mercy to help me face, to answer, to realize that temptation is not where life is. Jesus is where life is. Maybe it's the priest. Maybe it's the prophet. Maybe it's one or all three of those things, but I take myself in hand, what I'm commending to you, take yourself in hand and recall this is Jesus and this is the one who is with me. He hasn't sent me out in the world by myself but has walked with me and calls me to walk with him. So I walk with him aware of who he is and alert to the temptation that's all around me. I'm not just walking through life as if in a world of peace. I take myself in hand and remind myself, I'm walking through a minefield. The grocery store is a minefield. I'm there to buy bread and milk and not be destroyed. How many think like that going to the grocery store? (laughs) Or going to class? Or going to practice? Going to the office? Getting up to change the diaper? I'm changing the diaper. I'm going to class. Hopefully not to be destroyed because I'm walking through a minefield. You are. Alert to that. For me, this is, this is, it's important because I'm putting myself aware. It is not possible to walk the Christian life tuned out, aware to Jesus and alert to danger. I can then say, you know, I don't have to go that way. You know, Jesus is with me and Jesus gives me what I need. That's a, that's a deceptive lie. But I'm, I'm taking myself in hand. I'm getting in charge of this, to get in charge of this, rather than letting that be in charge of this and this. And you can, because you're freed from bondage to sin. And you can, because you can afford to say no to sin. You have everything you need in Jesus. This is a great privilege that he has bought us. He he has not just intended to to set us free. He wants us to be set free and then to walk in that freedom so that you go out to the grocery store and class and practice and, and office and wherever it is that you go so that you go out into that and you walk with Jesus into life. Into life. Walk freed. Christian, walk freed. Your flesh has been cut off from power. 
and you can walk with Jesus, take yourself in hand then and do so. But we won't do it perfectly, and we will sit sometimes in the car having just come out of the grocery store, having stepped on a landmine. Maybe you only want to know it because it was just in your mind. And you sit in the car and you think, man, last Sunday the pastor preached about this very situation and I just totally blew it. Now what? Walk forgiven because your sin has been dealt with. It's the second observation. Walk forgiven because your sin has been dealt with. Verse 13 takes us back to our pre-Christian, pre-in-Christ days and says, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead in sin and bound to keep on sinning and you couldn't do anything about it. Dead in sin, flesh not cut away, but still obligated like a master obligates a slave, still obligated to turn away from God. Something in you is bent, insanely bent against him and bent towards that which actually can't bring life and you can't do anything about that. It's a terrible situation. But as we step through the next couple of phrases, behold, This is God. And, and this, is what, this is what God has solely, by his own plan and initiative, what God has introduced into the world. You behold this and you see here, this is the kindness and the grace and the mercy and the love of a great heart. Of a great God who has a heart like this. Right in the middle of verse 13, while in that moment. So not after he said, let me alert you to your, your failure, and I will, I will have great offer for you if you will correct that and come over here. I, I'll do something marvelous for you if in the middle of your failure you'll clean up that mess and then step over here to where I am with, with goodness no, 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 no. This is a great heart. This is a great God. While in our sin, God drew near. This, this is mercy and grace. Right in the middle of that, God made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses, it says. How do you do that? Maybe just by saying, there's your trespasses, no big deal, never mind. No. He's a holy God. So how do you do it? Continuing on, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So you get rid of it by canceling it. So how do you do that? Just by saying, well, there's the debt, you are, in fact, guilty, and here's what the law requires. Here are the legal requirements for payment of that debt. Never mind. I throw it out. I discard it. Nope. He's a just God. Not just holy. He is a just God and required that the debt be dealt with. 
This record of debt, continuing on, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There it is. I'm over here in my sin, dead in my sin, unable to respond to him. Dead people don't do anything but lie there. I'm dead in my sin and in bondage to my flesh. And God who stands over here says, I will step in. I see the requirement. I see your failure. And I'm going to deal with that rightly. I'm going to nail all of that to the cross. Awesome. Men and women, awesome. He set it aside nailing it to the cross, and I'm forgiven of the debt because the debt is canceled, because the debt is actually paid in full. The record of my guilt, Christian, if you're a Christian, the record of your guilt, and if you're not a Christian, please understand, what I'm talking about is, is could be you, could easily be you. Trust Christ. But Christian, this is true for you right now already fully. The record of your guilt is stamped Paid. The, the stamp is a little runny because it's bloody. But it's stamped, paid. The record of debt nailed to the cross. There's, there's an illusion here about how debts were paid back in that day especially criminal debts. In some way or another, they were written on tablets or pieces of paper. And when the punishment had been meted out, it was stamped paid. And then you could have in your possession the record, and it would show paid so that you could keep it on your person or keep it in your house, and nobody would ever be able to arrest you and put you in double jeopardy to try you and condemn you for that again. Nope, paid. Someone may try. Nope, paid. Some power or authority may try. Nope, paid. When the crime was a capital offense, the charge was nailed on the cross above the head of the dying man. So everybody would look and see, oh, charge paid as he dies. What was nailed above the head of Jesus? Pilate nailed up there the official charge, king of the Jews. What was really nailed up there above the head of Jesus? Your immorality, your mean-spirited comment, your pride, your dishonesty, your anger, your sin, written down, nailed to the cross, you bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O your soul. And someone may come along, an allusion here to verse 15 talks about how powers will come along and say to the just judge who is holy, do you know what this one has done? Here's the charge again from today. And he'll say, "Uh uh-huh, yep, boom. Nailed to the cross, you bear that no more. And tomorrow and next week and next year and next month, you'll sit in the car coming out of the grocery store, guilty. May you walk then in that moment in forgiveness because that too, boom, nailed to the cross, you bear it no more. This is beautiful. Let 
When you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he gathered all of that sin and all of that tendency, past, present, and future, because when this happened, it was all future, wasn't it? Past, present, and future, and he took it and nailed it to the cross of Jesus. Nowhere else. So you are forgiven. All of your trespasses, they're canceled, they're gone. And no one can condemn you not yourself, not God himself, not any spiritual forces of evil. He has triumphed over them. They come to him and he says, you got no case, you moron. Maybe moron's a bad word, sorry. I didn't write that down. I'm trying to gather, put them to open shame. Let me, I'm sorry, let me retract that word. You fools. You got no case dealt with. So you can then walk with him daily forgiven. It is beautiful to consider this. This is another aspect of what it means to walk in Christ, to live in Christ. It means to walk, live, in the consistent awareness of and embracing of and enjoying of and relief that comes because of Jesus' complete forgiveness of every single one of your sins because you are a Christian, because you are in Christ. Day by day, Moment by moment, I am in Christ by faith. I am clean because of him, totally so. Even in those moments, and maybe you might say especially in those moments, when you are clearly in the wrong and guilty. This is the answer to guilt. This is the relief from the burden. Not to say, I'm not really that bad. I didn't really do it, or I wouldn't have done it if she hadn't have done. No, just say, yes, guilty, and nailed to the cross. Where's the charge? That's the answer to the burden, to put it somewhere like God already has. especially in those moments, to, to see your guilt and then to see Jesus and to realize that you're forgiven and clean, as clean as you ever possibly will be. There is no condemnation on you. And to breathe the breath of the forgiven and the freed at peace in joy is awesome. Which is not to say, of course, is not to say that we don't care about sin. Of course we do. Of course he does. And in fact... If you just glance ahead briefly at chapter 3, we're going to come to that. After getting this, and getting this clearly, and, and holding on to it tightly, then afterwards, from the position of I stand forgiven, it's all paid for from that position, then we talk about holiness and righteousness and walking in that. Indeed, for sure. We've got to get the order right. 
God very much wants us to walk in righteousness, but he very much first wants us to walk not only to be forgiven, but to walk in forgiveness. He, he worked this out because he wants us to walk in it. Like any giver of gifts, he wants you to enjoy the gift, to, to, to utilize the gift. And would that not, I think, it's, I think it's obvious to see that that would bring great freedom to you, freedom to each one of us individually as we step into and then stand in and then walk out with Jesus clean. Great freedom, great blessing for you personally about you. And, I keep thinking about this, this has a lot to say about how you live with other people. Particularly, first, consider other Christians around you. Think of someone maybe in the church, or maybe someone, if, if you're married, think of your Christian spouse, your Christian spouse. To walk in forgiveness, to walk in, in the, the forgiveness of your own sin is going to relieve you from that burden, from that condemnation that will affect how you are with that other person. And to stand looking at that other person and realize he, she, they also stand in forgiveness will affect very much how you view them, how you live with them. How you view their sin around and against you. So you get a Christian spouse maybe, or, or you're the person who walks around the corner after having heard the gossip about you. To walk in the forgiveness not only of yourself, but of that other person to realize this person too. There is therefore now no condemnation on her from God, on him from God. And there must not be from me either. We are not in the place of God. We are not entitled to judge and condemn that which God has judged and forgiven. critical point here. So please hear this critical point here. Does that mean that everything is just fine and dandy with that? Whatever my spouse does, whatever the person in the hallway does is just fine and dandy and I have to mark it up as forgiven and deal with it? No. Because sometimes we do things that are awful and evil that need to be brought out, confronted, but here's the whole thing. Confronted from what perspective and why? Confronted from the perspective of judge for the sake of condemnation or confronted from the, sake of, from the perspective of, of brother forgiven for the sake of release? When I stand in forgiveness and I look at a person who stands in forgiveness and I see that person or, or feel that person's sin against me, I still should, maybe maybe I let love cover over sin, but I still should often speak to and, and address what seems wrong or maybe what is clearly wrong for the sake of love because I want that person to grow, to thrive, to be freed, to walk with Jesus fully and find life in Jesus. And in love for that person, I say, I think this is holding you back. I think this is sin. I think this is wrong. Not in condemnation, in love.
So sin may still need to be clearly addressed and confronted for the good of the other, not as a judge standing over the other. So that has to be clear. When we miss that point, sometimes we, we attempt to bear up under things that actually it's not helpful to try to bear up under. Walk in forgiveness for yourself for the sake of the other Christians around you. And when you do that, what we find here is that this is sweet ground for union between people. This is, this is at the ground level of what makes for communion. When I stand and then walk in forgiveness and I view you as standing and walking in forgiveness, then there's no condemnation, no judgment between us. And in a way, even this, this even in a way works for how we commune with others who, who are not at the moment believers in Jesus. Now we can't, we can't count a person who's not a Christian, you can't count them as forgiven because they're not yet. So I, I can't count that person as forgiven, but I myself am not in the judgment business anymore. I, I recognize that, that just as my sin that I was guilty of was dealt with by Jesus, this person's sin that he or she is guilty of will be dealt with by Jesus. I'm not in the judgment business. I'm free to approach and free to love. And in a similar way, maybe call out sin for the sake of the good of this person, not to judge him. To walk in forgiveness. In other words, God wants you. God presses into you this clear truth. I took all of your sin. I took it away. I nailed it in the cross. You are forgiven. And I want you to know that for you. And I want you to walk in that for you and for everybody else around you. So how do you how do you Walk that out. How do you walk that out? Take yourself in hand. And when you feel the burden of guilt, I just did. Say, yes. Boom. You're forgiven. Neither the holy judge nor anybody else has any case against you that will stand. Walk delighted and thankful and gracious towards others also. Walk alert to the temptations that are all around you and walk aware that you have what you need in Christ. And walk free to say no to sin and yes to him. And walk forgiven and clean. This is what it means to walk in Christ. The privilege that God won for you, calls you to and gives you. So take him up on the offer. Let me pray. Lord, would you help us to walk with you? You did not 
ever intend to save us and set us off solo into the world. But you meant to save us, unite to us, and walk with us forever. Thank you. Will you help us to do that? Every one of our lives are different with, with different twists and turns and different complications. So would you meet your people and address the specifics? Maybe even do so right now as we turn towards communion and take in our hands cup and bread and, and sit and have time to think and, and to, to speak with you and listen to you. Will you perhaps with individuals here address specifics for them now even? Warm our hearts and move us to worship. Move us to rest and joy. You are a great, great, awesome, kind God. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.